Leah and I were at Target, and we were there with Atticus and Adeline, and Leah was returning a couple of things, and so I was with, uh, I was with my, my children, and we were just walking around, we were looking at different stuff, moseying, and uh, Atticus likes to chatter, he talks incessantly now, and uh, so we were, we were somewhere between electronics and menswear when he said, Daddy, where tractor go? And I knew what he meant. He meant the riding lawnmower. I had spent the morning mowing the lawn. And so that's what he was talking about. He was talking about the riding lawnmower. And so I knew what he meant, and so I just responded accordingly. I said, buddy, it's in the garage. And as I looked up, much to my amusement and delight, there were two guys in the Target that were looking at me like I was some sort of a Superman, like, whoa, that guy has a tractor. And he's got a garage big enough for a tractor. This guy's awesome. And so I did what any man should do at that point. I, I, I played it up. And I said, yeah, buddy, we gotta, we're going to have to hurry and get all these things we need here real quick because uh, we got some work to do down by the creek bed this afternoon. And, and uh, we quickly went off to buy the things that we were there for, table runners and lace doilies. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, I didn't really have anything to do with anything I'm saying. I just thought it was funny. But uh, I'm really glad that you're here this week. This is an independent sermon. This is just uh, one sermon. In fact, I took some advice from my friend Phil Lemaster. He said, if you ever have a Sunday where nothing's scheduled, preach the gospel. Just tell people about Jesus. And I thought, boy, that's really good. That's really good. I'm going to write that down. And sure enough, here we are. I'm going to preach the gospel, but I want to tell you just briefly what we're going to do next Sunday, because next Sunday we're starting a sermon series. It's called Old Testament Godly, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the different figures in the Old Testament that obeyed God in radical and extraordinary ways when the preponderance of the evidence would seem to guide you in a different direction. Here's what I mean. Uh, Just Abraham, he's going to open our series for us. We'll look at him just briefly. Think about Abraham. The first conversation the Bible records between Abraham and God goes something like this. This is my paraphrase. Abraham, this is God. I want you to leave your town. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends and your profession, your comfortable life. And I want you to go somewhere that I'll tell you about later and it'll be good. And Abraham says, yeah, all right, I'll do that. Why? What did Abraham see in God that caused him to leave everything behind and not look back? And then maybe just as importantly, what can we learn from that so that we can live that way too? So that's what we're going to be starting next week, Old Testament godly, um, but, but that's next week. This week... We've got a really great sermon uh, from, I'm biased, I guess I'm biased, I think it's a great sermon. It's from Ephesians 2, it's hard to mess up Ephesians 2. And and I want to start with a question as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. What would you do to save somebody's life? What would you do to save somebody's life? Interact with me a little bit here. Uh, Raise your hand if you would be willing to get mud on a pair of brand new shoes to save somebody's life. Y'all better be raising your hand, good work. But, you know, you get it. You get new shoes, and you like them, and they, they're new for like three weeks, and then all of a sudden they're not new, and you can do whatever in them. But for those first three weeks, I don't know how much do I like the person. All right, I'll save you. 
No, okay, good. You're all willing to get mud on new shoes to save somebody's life. Would you be willing to risk a paper cut to save somebody's life? Mm. You guys are good. You're very, very good people. Would you give $50 to save somebody's life? A hundred? Keep your hand up. How about a thousand? Okay, very good. Would you risk being burned? Would you risk being burned to save somebody's life? Would you risk drowning to save somebody's life? How about this? Uh, would you risk your own life to save somebody's life? You, can, you say yes. All of you say yes, but I understand you, you can't really know how you'll react until you're in that situation. What would you do uh, to save someone's life? It's an interesting question. I want you to file that away for now. I'm going to change gears just a little bit. This past week, Leah and I were talking, and she asked me a question, and I thought it was a really simple question. She said, what is your goal for Tabor right now? She said, what's your goal for Tabor right now? I said, that's easy. And I got to thinking, and I went, have a baby, make it through allergy season, do the Smith wedding, do I have any goals for Tabor right now? And, and I began to realize as I thought and as I processed that I had different goals, but I didn't have any goals specifically uh, for the church, and that bothered me. It really bothered me because I'm the kind of person who likes to set goals. Uh, many of you have heard me say this before. I love weightlifting. I love picking up heavy things and then setting them back down. The reason that I love doing that is because I will never have achieved all of it. Right? I will never have lifted all the weight. Okay, so, so if I have a goal of being able to bench press, oh, I don't know, 350 pounds, okay, that's a goal, uh, but one day I'll achieve that goal, but guess what? More weight fits on the bar. All of a sudden I can start setting a goal to bench press 375 pounds, and guess what? When I get that, more weight fits on the bar. God wired me to have goals, to always have something just out of reach that I'm striving toward, and so it really bothered me that I couldn't think of a goal that I had set for this church and so I started to, to think about it, and I started to pray about it, and I started to wonder about it, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And i got to tell you, I've got a goal. I've got a goal for Mount Tabor Christian Church for the rest of 2018. But before I tell you what the goal is, I want to put us all in the right frame of mind to hear it, because what I'm going to ask you to do a little bit later is to prayerfully consider signing on to this goal with me. So... To get us in the right mindset, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in your sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers and the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I want to make a really simple observation from verse 1 in this passage. Real simple. Feel free to write it down. Sin doesn't make you sick. It makes you dead. Sin doesn't make you sick. It makes you Dead. That's a reality for a lot of people that live in our county. 
I want to tell you a little bit about our county this morning. In the year 2000, 7,551 people, Washington County residents, identified themselves as Christians. Maybe you're saying, wow, that's pretty good. In 2010, do you think that number went up or down? You think it went down? Well, you guys are pessimistic, aren't you? Is, this, is the glass half empty, or do you guys even have a glass? <laughs> All right, fine. Did it go up or down? Survey says? Yeah, it went down. It went from 7,551 to 7,122 Washington County residents who identified as Christians. That means over the course of a decade, there were 429 less Christians living in Washington County. And some of you are going, well, what was the population doing at that time? Maybe the population declined significantly. 2,000 population, 27,262. 2010, 28,000. 289. In the same time frame that 429 people decided they weren't Christians, we gained 1,000 people in the overall population. That's telling. But the next statistic is even more striking. In 2000, 12,943 people in this county marked their religious affiliation as none. 2010, up or down? Up or down? In 2010, 16,773 people marked their religious affiliation as none. You're right, it went up. That's 3,830 people who turned from the church in that 10-year period. If we combine that increase with the decline in Christians, we end up with 4,259 people. That's not all the people in our county who don't know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's just the change that we've seen over the course of 10 years. I'd love to, I'd love to reach a portion of those people. Wouldn't you? Would you love to reach a portion of those people, of those 4,259 people? What if we could reach 10% of them? What if we could reach 426 people? It's just 10% of the change we've seen over the last decade. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. That seems horrendously inadequate to me. We're talking about reaching 10% of the people who have changed their view of God over a decade. Not all the people in our county who don't know Christ. That that number is closer to 17,000, and I'd love to make a dent on that number. But we've got to start somewhere. So what if we could reach 426 people who don't know that Jesus is Lord? Here's the reality. When we put those numbers on screen, those aren't just numbers. You know what those are? Those are people. Those are people who don't know that God loves them. Those are people who don't know that Jesus died for them. Those are people who don't know that they can have hope. Those are people who will spend eternity separated from God, and I'm not okay with that. So let's start reaching those people. They don't come to church here. They don't talk like we do. They don't dress like we do. They don't think like we do. They don't vote like we do. But they need Jesus just like we do. Let's start reaching those people. 
I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2 to you one more time. I want you to just follow along on screen. I know you've got Bibles, but I want you to follow along on the screen here. Ready? 16,773 Washington County residents are dead because of their disobedience and many sins. They live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Sin doesn't make you sick makes you dead. I'm passionate about those people. I'm passionate about those people who are spiritually dead because I know what it's like to be spiritually dead. I know what it's like to live in sin because I did it for a long time. When I read verse 2 and it says, He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I understand what that means. Because I have no other explanation for many of the things that I've done. I have a lot of things in my past that I look back on and I, and I praise God that I'm forgiven for because I couldn't live with me aside for God's forgiveness. I know what it means to obey the devil. Kenny Bowles is writing on this passage and he says it's not just an isolated failure here or there in their lives. Their lives were a continuing lifestyle of moving away from God. Their life was the way of death. I know what it's like to move further and further away from God. I know that the further you get from God, the less you care about other people. And the easier it is for you to hurt other people to lie to other people, to cheat other people, to wound other people. I know that the further you get away from God, the easier it is to do those things. And ironically, I know that the further you get away from God, the less you care about yourself. If you care less about other people, you also care less about yourself. That sounds kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like sin leads to selfishness, and selfishness is only thinking about yourself. But here's what I found to be true. I didn't care about myself. I cared about what other people thought of me. And so I was less inclined to do things that were good for me and to more inclined to do things that I thought other people would approve of. Here's a problem with that. Anybody see a problem? Because I see a big problem. The people that I was trying to prove my worth to were people who were also walking away from God. So here's what this looks like. Here's God over here. Here's me and this group of other people walking away from God, and suddenly I'm trying to find my worth in this crowd here, so all of a sudden I've got to get out in front of them and say, look at me, I'm, I'm worthy of your respect and your admiration and attention. And so I'm quickly walking away from God as I try to gain the acceptance and the approval of people who are walking away from God. And the further you get from God, the quicker that cycle goes. I know what it's like to disobey God and walk away from him. If I thought that I could impress these people, I'd do almost anything. I'd do most anything to impress these people, regardless of whether or not it was good for me. 
regardless of whether or not it was good for the people that I loved. I didn't care about me. I cared about what other people thought of me. And that's a big problem. You see, by my very nature, I was subject to God's anger. Just like everybody that I was surrounding myself with. I know what sin does to a person. I know what sin does to a person. But I also know what Jesus does to a person. You hear that difference? I know what sin does to a person. Listen to me. You're the left side in my mind. You're the right side to your mind. Listen to me, left side. I know what sin does to a person. But I know what Jesus does to a person. Listen to me, middle section. I know what sin does to a person, but I know what Jesus does to a person. Listen to me, right side. I know what sin does to a person, but I know what Jesus does to a person. Let me show you what Jesus does to a person. But God is so rich in mercy and loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus I want this passage to be true for you And I want this passage to be true for the 17,000 Washington County residents who don't know that God loves them. I want you to look at the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. So verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 5, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Verse 2, you used to live in sin, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Verse 6, he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Verse 3, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Verse 7, God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. So what difference does Jesus make in a person's life? He moves us from rebellion to citizenship in his kingdom. He moves us away from God's anger and into his adoration. Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. And that's it. Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. That's the bottom line. That's why I do what I do. Because I once was dead and now I'm alive. I don't want other people to be dead. Let's talk about my goal. I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. And there are a lot of things that we could have as goals. I think a lot of valuable things that we could have as goals. Um, But uh, I I believe that that God really shared with me what our goal as a congregation is supposed to be uh, for the rest of the year. Um, I believe it was Holy Spirit inspired. Um, If you don't think God works that way, that's fine. I do. Okay, Um, But I believe that um, Holy Spirit laid this on my heart. 
This past week, I was talking with a friend of mine, and uh, he ministers in Illinois, and he was really excited because they had several baptisms in their church this past Sunday, and he was just pumped up. You ever talk to somebody who's pumped up? They don't even know that you're in, like, they don't care if anybody's listening. They're just talking, and they're excited, and he was pumped up for God, and and, uh, here's what he said. He said, man, I just wish everybody could experiencing baptizing somebody sometime and he just kept going on and on and on and he was talking and he was talking and he was talking and I stopped listening because light bulb you know what I do wish that more people could experience the joy of baptizing somebody at some point I was reaffirmed in this yesterday as I went to a wedding uh Keith Wisely married Aaron Wessner yesterday, and, and John Wisely was officiating the service, and he talked about memorable moments in his life. He said, it was a memorable moment when my son was born. It was a memorable moment when I baptized my son, but perhaps the most profound thing that I've experienced with my son is watching my son baptize somebody else. And I thought, we're on the right track here, God. You just keep reaffirming this to me. And so, that's our goal. Here's, here's my goal. You ready for it? I was looking for a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm preaching up here, and, okay? <laughs> Let's try this again. I'm going to set you up this time. Here's, I'm going to tell you my goal. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad. My goal for Mount Tabor for the rest of 2018 is that 10 different people will baptize somebody. 10 different people are going to baptize somebody over the rest of 2018. That's just the first half. The second half is that we as a staff are going to baptize 10 more people over the course of 2018. Well, some of you guys are saying, well, it's already already mid-May. It's already mid-late May. Well, we better get busy, hadn't we? All my friends are Christians. Make new friends. It's probably not going to happen. I'm not interested and what we can or cannot do, I'm very interested in what God can do through people who are willing to follow after him. So that's my goal for the rest of 2018. And, and uh, for a while, you're going to see uh, this. This, thank you. For a while, you're going to see this around here. You know what this number represents? Very good, it represents 10. <laughs> It represents uh, the 10 baptisms that we want um, you to make. They're the the people that we want you to baptize. Now, let's say, um, just let's just say uh, Mike Shockey baptizes somebody. You know what this number is going to change to? You guys are so good. And uh, and let's say that Bill Neesmith baptizes somebody. What's that number going to change to? Oh, this is getting exciting, isn't it? You're going to see that on the inside of your bulletin, and I can't wait till that number gets to zero. That's the goal for the rest of 2018. Now, before we get started with all this, I, uh, I need you to look at the bottom of your sermon insert. By the way, we have fill-in-the-blank sermon inserts, if you didn't know that. I feel like maybe I should have mentioned that sooner, but... Better late than never. Um, At the bottom of your fill-in-the-blank sermon insert, there's a line that says, I will work at this like someone's life depends on it. And then underneath there's a place for you to sign your name. And I want to stop right now and pray. I want to pray for you as you contemplate whether or not you can sign your name on that. Um, Then I want you to take that paper 
and stick it on your fridge, stick it on your Bible, put it in your car, put it on your desk, put it in your locker at work, somewhere that it will always be present and always be on your mind and that you will always remember what you're working for. So let me pray for us right now. God, we want to seek your will and we want to do the work that you've called us to. And we know there are lots of things that you call us to, God. But right now, we want to devote ourselves to the purpose that you've given us. We want to devote ourselves to going into all of the parts of the world that we go to, making disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded God, please give us courage and wisdom to know that you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. God, I pray that you will give us wisdom and discernment to know whether or not we can sign our names on this document. And if we do, God, please help us to take it seriously and live that way for the rest of this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just give me a second here. All right, if, uh, if you can sign that piece of paper, why don't you go ahead and do it now? If you can't, no hard feelings. Why don't you come back next week, all right? Um, I guess here's what I need to say. Jesus takes dead people and he makes them alive. And he's entrusted us with the responsibility of sharing that message. So what would you do to save someone's life? Would you risk an awkward conversation? Would you risk rejection? Whatever it is that you're risking, I guarantee it's worth it. Some of you are here today and and you feel dead. You've been living in sin and you've heard that, that Jesus can give you new life. Here's what I need you to understand. He can give you a new life, but his expectation is that once you get a new life, you won't continue living the old one. His expectation is that you change. His expectation is that to the best of your ability, working hard every day, you will walk away from sin and towards God. He can give you that new life. And if you choose new life today, your goal from this day forward is to help other people experience new life as you continue to experience it. And it starts right there. The book of Romans says it this way in chapter 6, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Here's what that means. Baptism is where your new life begins. Baptism is where an old sinner dies and a new person rises up from the water. It's where we make an appeal to God for forgiveness by invoking Jesus' name. And if you need to be baptized today, I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you to do it. There are a thousand reasons why you shouldn't, why you think you couldn't, but I've got one reason why you should. Because Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. Let's stand and sing together.